0: Listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about twenty minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Romans eight verses one through seventeen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him.
1: Amen. Thank you for that reading, Shauna. And thanks again to Jeremy for leading us in worship. That was great. The title of our sermon for today is The Spirit of God Dwells in You. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is a topic that we don't discuss that much in this church, or at least we haven't In the two years that I've been here, um, that's going to change today. But before we get into all that, I want to do something here at the top of the sermon that's a little bit different, just for a couple minutes. If it's okay with you all, I would like to nerd out with you for a bit. Um, If you know me at all, you know that I'm a major Bible geek. Uh, I get way too excited about the Bible. Um, And I'd like to just put my Bible geek hat on for a couple of minutes here at the top. Uh, to show you some of what's going on beneath the surface of this passage. A little connecting the dots and reading the li- uh, between the lines. I know that when I do this, there's always the, the danger of looking like this guy. So... We're going to try to avoid this today if we can. We'll see how that works out. Um, but there is just so much happening in this passage, you guys, and a lot of it is really easy to miss. So if I don't, if I don't geek out with you for a couple minutes and talk about this stuff, I am just going to burst. So is it cool if I, if I nerd out with you for a minute? We got the good? Good. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. You understand me. Oh, and here's the good news, too. Good news. You don't, you don't need to, like, remember any of this. You don't need to, like, take... A lot of notes, or to commit this to memory. Just sit back, put your tinfoil hat on with me, and follow along while I nerd out. <clears throat> All right. So we are in Romans chapter eight. This is the midpoint, just about, of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. In our passage for today, in just these seventeen verses, Paul is tying together almost everything he's covered in this section of the book. Might not seem like that at first glance, but he is. Uh, it's pretty wild. We're talking like savant level connecting the dots here. Paul starts out, I've got a little graph for you that we're going to go through. He starts out in verse 1 of chapter 8, saying that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a transition out of chapter 7, which was this very heavy lament about our struggle with sin. We've been working through Romans 7, talking about sin for two weeks now. I've heard from a number of you, including some folks who watch online, um, just saying that all this sin talk is a bit of a downer. Like, right? When are we going to get to the happy stuff? When, when are we going to get to the, the, the grace, the good stuff, something uplifting? And this is it. We're finally at the end of this tunnel, um, and there's a light that's not a train. It's the Holy Spirit. So that's the first connection, just this transition here. But the rabbit hole goes way deeper. In verse 2, and then throughout the passage really, Paul keeps repeatedly going back to the phrase, the law of sin and death and our sinful flesh. This ties back to everything Paul's been talking about for two whole chapters, chapters 6 and 7, about sin in our members, the law of sin, struggling with the flesh. If you remember a few weeks ago, there was that super weird patriarchal ma- metaphor that like, compared marriage to death. All of that is tying together here with all this talk about sinful flesh we fallen along so far? Okay, cool. You don't look as impressed as I am, but that's okay. This is for me. Um, In verse three and following, Paul contrasts life in the flesh with life in the spirit. If that gives you deja vu, bonus points, because the language he's using here is is walking. We either walk according to the spirit or we walk according to the flesh. And back in Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about how we either walk in the way of Adam, which leads to sin and death, or walk in the way of Jesus, which is resurrection and life. The exact same metaphor, just different language. Do you see that connection? Pretty, pretty cool.: Yeah. Just I'm going to tease out a few more of these rapid fire. We're going to go quick here. Uh, in verse three, again, Paul talks about God sending Jesus to deal with sin. It's this atonement language. That connects back to the very beginning of Romans chapter 5 and this discussion of God sending Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that's connected here. Oh, next one, Travis. Is it working? Oh, there we go. Perfect. Okay, and the next slide. Um, In verse 10, Paul emphasizes that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. That connects back to... Romans chapter 6, where the emphasis is that you are in Christ. You see, Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Little language flip there. And then finally, this last one, at the very end of our passage, verses 15 to 17, we get all this talk about adoption, how we are adopted children of God, heirs with Christ. This goes all the way back to Romans 4 and all that stuff Paul was saying about Abraham and our adoption into the family of Abraham. If if you've I've actually got a slide that has all of these, which is way too much to take in. We don't don't if that's too much, don't don't look at that. Um, but if you've been following along and happen to have a really good memory, your mind is probably exploding right now. If not, uh, your head's probably exploding for for other reasons. Um, but do you see all these connections? Do you see all the callbacks, all the connecting the dots? And this is only like a third of them too. We could make this like way longer. Here's why I think this is important, because you don't really need to remember any of this. You don't need to call back any of this, but this is why I think it's important for you to see these connections Paul is making. So often when we read the Bible, it's easy to feel defeated, especially when we read Paul. We get confused. It feels like he's jumping from point to point to point. We can't follow the flow. It's totally disconnected, And that's partly because this is a 2,000-year-old letter. We're reading someone else's mail that was written 2,000 years ago in another language. We don't write like that anymore. We don't exactly think and reason like this anymore. So it is very hard to see that bigger picture when we're going through it. But I show you all these connections to drive home the point that there is a method to this madness. Even if it's over our head, like 90% of the time, it's still... There. This is why, as we've been working through this book, I've been encouraging you all to read Romans from home, to read along with us in the book of Romans. And we're focusing on these larger chunks. Right now we're working through Romans chapter five, chapters 5 to 8. And the idea is to read these sections multiple times throughout the week to help you get a glimpse of that bigger picture. Because the big picture message of this book is that God is putting the world back together In Christ. And we are invited to participate. We are invited, just like those first Christians in Rome, to get caught up in that very same story the story of God bringing the world back to wholeness through Jesus. That's the big picture. That's my Nerd Out session. You can take off the tinfoil hats, or maybe keep them on, because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Anyway, we'll see how it goes. Okay, for the last two weeks, we've been working our way through Romans 7, all this stuff about sin. Remember, Paul, when he talks about sin, he's thinking about sin as this this spiritual entity, this force or this power that is active in creation and seeking to enslave us. Last week, we talked about that inner conflict, when you know what the right thing to do is and you want to do what's right, but your actions just don't line up. The week before that, uh, we talked about how sin can distort uh, even the good things in our lives to lead us into slavery. And in all that talk about sin, Paul didn't give us much at all in terms of an answer. There was no real solution. We were able to to pull together some some practical ideas about discipleship last week, um, but he didn't really give us an answer. And finally, here in Romans 8, Paul lands on the number one resource in the fight against sin, the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is a Baptist church, and Baptists get really antsy when we start talking about the Spirit. Am I right about that? Luann's laughing, so I know I'm right for at least some people. Like, Pentecostals, our Pentecostal friends, are super comfortable with the Spirit. They love the Spirit. Baptists, not so much. Uh, We're cool with Jesus, we like Jesus a lot. We like our Bibles, where it's all like, kind of printed out really nice and neat for us. We like our faith to be very logical and predictable and well-defined. And the Holy Spirit's just a little too unpredictable for us. Once like somebody comes up to us with a word from the Spirit or starts speaking in tongues, we are out of here, right? Is anybody? Some, some folks, the longtime Baptists are with me on that, yeah. Because as Baptists, we are really uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. It feels like woo to us, right? I, I always do this when I say woo, woo. It feels like woo. It's not intellectual enough. It's too emotional. Uh, we tend to exercise our faith up here in our heads and out here with our hands, like doing things in the world, uh, feeding the hungry, working for justice. The Spirit, though, speaks to us in here, in the heart. And for people in our particular brand of Christianity historically, and I know for a number of folks in this church, that makes us profoundly uncomfortable. Here's the thing, though. Paul's thinking of sin as the spiritual force. This dark spiritual entity stalking creation, looking to dominate and destroy us. And if we are going to defend against a spiritual enemy, you need a spiritual ally. That's the Holy Spirit. That's where this connects. That's what this is all about. You want to live free of your past enslavement to sin? You need the Holy Spirit. You want to live into the truth that you are a new creation in Christ? You need the Holy Spirit for that. So what we're going to do today is a little crash course on the Holy Spirit for Baptists. see how this goes. Paul actually makes it super easy for us, actually, in this passage, because he's jumping around using a bunch of different names and titles for the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's three that he points to in this passage. He calls the Holy Spirit uh, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Adoption. Spirit of Life, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Adoption. This is actually a really good framework to start thinking about the Spirit, so we're just going to steal this. I'm just going to riff on each of these for a few minutes, and we'll see if maybe we can rekindle some love for the Spirit. Does that sound like a plan? Good. Thumbs up. Excellent. Let's start with the Spirit of life, and we're going to read our passage, Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life In Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit of life. I don't know about you, but for me personally, When Paul starts talking about spirit and flesh and contrasting the two, I get a little antsy. Because to me, that feels very dualistic. Um, There's this unhealthy form of uh, spirituality in the church, which basically assumes that anything dealing with the body, the physical realm, anything like that, anything fleshly, bodily, is bad. And anything spiritual is good. Um, You see this with Christians who kind of have their head in the clouds. Uh, They're not worried about earthly matters like justice or suffering or uh, tackling the very real evils that still persist in the world because their minds are on heavenly things. Like, why fight poverty or work for justice when we have souls to save? As if those two things can't be done at the same time. You also see this unhealthy dualism um, with Christians who live in their own little churchy bubbles. Um, Like when all your friends are church friends, you don't have any non-Christian friends. Um, Or like you only watch Christian movies, no secular movies. You, You don't listen to top 40 radio. No one listens to radio. You don't listen to like secular music at all. You only listen to Christian music. There's this dualism where anything... Christian is good and anything that's not explicitly Christian, religious, spiritual is bad. And now it's not a problem if you enjoy Christian movies, if you like listening to Christian music, that is fine. You ha- might have terrible taste, but it is not a character flaw. So we're okay. But when we fall into this dualistic trap where like anything earthly, anything spiritual is, or sorry, anything physical is bad and anything spiritual is good, that's not a healthy place to be, and it's also not a very Holy Spirit place to be. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. When Paul uses this language, spirit and flesh, he's talking about two different ways of being in the world. We either walk according to the spirit, or we walk according to the flesh. You could almost think of this as like a fuel source. Are you spirit-fueled, or are you flesh-fueled? Fueled. Are you uh, motivated by the Spirit of God, or does your motivation depend on fleshly, worldly things? When things go wrong, when things don't work out even a little bit, are you thrown completely off-kilter? Or do you have this sense of persistent joy and awe that comes from the Spirit? Because one of those, stru- one of those sources is eternal, and one of them dries up real quick. That's the difference between spirit and flesh. Um, In this church, we care a lot about justice. We care about serving others, being out in the community, trying to make a difference. And man, if if that work is not spirit-fueled, you will burn out so quickly. It happens all the time in, you know, social work, work for justice, people who are trying to serve others, do hospitality. It is so easy to burn out and become cynical you need to be tapped into the spirit of life. Because if you can tap into that spirit, you will have a fuel source that never runs out. If we're connected to the spirit, like really grounded in the spirit, we are not going to be head in the clouds, pie in the sky, out-of-touch type Christians operating in our own little bubbles because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of of life. It's the same Spirit that was hovering over the primordial waters of creation from the dawn of time. It's the Spirit of God active in the world to redeem and restore the world. If we tap into that Spirit, we are not going to be out of touch. We're going to be on fire. And there's nothing that can stop us if we're connected to the Spirit of life. So that's first title for the Spirit, Spirit of Life. Paul also calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. We're going to read starting in verse 9. <clears throat> but you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. If Pentecostals and, like, our charismatic Christian friends are Holy Spirit radicals, Baptists have always historically been Jesus radicals. We're really into Jesus. We are all about Jesus, following Jesus, worshiping Jesus, living like Jesus, judging other Christians who don't do a good enough t- uh, job measuring up to Jesus. That's, that's not a good one. Uh, but we, we are all about that Jesus thing. We're crazy about Jesus. He's our guy. And so it makes no sense for Baptists to be hesitant to talk about the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit exists to empower us to follow Jesus. A lot of times I've found that, like, spirituality in our culture, a lot of it is just self-actualization dressed up with, like, religious language. Um, Like, a lot of what passes for spirituality today is just sort of self-improvement with a bit of woo thrown in. I did the fingers again. Woo. so much of like contemporary uh, spirituality is so consumeristic, so cultivated. This applies to a lot of Christian spirituality, too. And the Spirit of Christ does not work that way. The goal of Christian spirituality should not be self-improvement or to live your best life now. The goal of Christian spirituality is to look more like Jesus. To love others like he did to serve others, even our enemies, like he did, to die to ourselves and our own self-interest so that we can live for others. That's the spirit of Christ. This is also a really good way, if you're looking for like a litmus test, to discern spiritual things, like you think maybe something is from God or the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something. This is actually a pretty good way that you can help discern that. Ask yourself, Will this thing I think I'm called to make me look more like Jesus or less? Will this conform me closer to the image of Christ or is it just playing into my own quest for self-actualization? Because a lot of times when someone comes up to us with like a word from the Spirit, sometimes that's legit. But sometimes it's just a power move. Just a way to get what you want and use the Holy Spirit as cover. And this is how you suss that stuff out. I had a friend a few years ago, uh, he's really more of an acquaintance. Uh, This was when I was in grad school. It came out that this guy was having an affair, he was cheating on his wife, um, with another student in his doctoral program. He was a religion scholar, um, which made things awkward, Um, and I remember he actually tried to use sort of a spiritual cover for what he was doing. He said stuff like, "Um, doesn't God want me to be happy? I'm in this loveless marriage. I really really think the Holy Spirit brought this person into my life. You know, my wife and kids are such a drain, but I, I feel more alive, closer to God when I'm with this other person. And I remember being like, are you sure that's the spirit? <laughs> like, I don't want to be judgy, but that does not sound very much like Jesus to me. Now, that story actually has a happy ending. Um, this guy eventually snapped out of it. He came clean with his wife. He ended, up, ended that relationship, actually dropped out of his program. As far as I know, he and his wife have a healthy marriage today. We haven't kept in touch that well, but we're Facebook friends, so I see his post once in a while. But that's a good way to discern where the Holy Spirit might actually be leading you. If it's leading you down a path that looks more and more like Jesus, where you're dying to yourself and living for others, a good chance that's the Spirit. If not, maybe not. So that's the Spirit of Christ. We talked about the Spirit of life. The third one is the Spirit of adoption, verse 13. Hey, three-point sermon today. Props to me, doing like a real sermon. Verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You have received a spirit of adoption. On one level, this is just a super affirming way to end this passage. We've all been adopted into the family of God, which is really cool. But there's actually something else going on here, and it's really important to see. Easy for us to miss. We talked about a few minutes ago how Paul uses spirit and flesh to talk about two different ways of being in the world, two different fuel sources, but he also uses this language as a way to challenge our tribal identities and affiliations. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. In the first century, flesh was another way to talk about your ethnicity the particular tribe or demographic group you belong to. Uh, In the next chapter, Romans 9, Paul is going to talk about his fellow Jews as his people according to the flesh. Paul describes himself as a Jew according to the flesh. If you're born a Roman citizen, you are Roman according to the flesh. According to Ancestry.com, I'm Swedish, German, French, and a bunch of other stuff in Europe, according to the flesh. Paul's shaking that up here by saying that our true sense of identity is not a matter of flesh, but spirit. Remember that Paul is writing to a group of house churches in Rome that are divided between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Jews and Gentiles in the same churches who are not speaking to each other, are not getting along with each other, don't trust each other, due to these deep-seated generation after generation of tribal conflict. Paul's message to them is that they have been adopted into the same spirit. Their sense of belonging comes from that spirit. Their tribe should not be dividing them anymore. Unless we assume that this isn't an issue for us, let me remind you that 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, is still the most segregated hour of the week. Christians, especially in America, are just as divided by these lines as we have ever been. And I know there are some people of color in our congregation, but this is still an overwhelmingly white church. So if I could address for a second any white folks who are here or watching online, my my fellow Caucasians according to the flesh, because I think this is important. If you are not moved to compassion by the suffering and experience of people of color in our country, that is a spiritual issue. The extent to which like white identity politics white privilege, white power, still has control on your heart and your mind, that is the extent to which you still need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. When those nine members of the Emanuel AME Church were murdered by an alt-right terrorist down in Charleston, that wasn't just an attack on some African-American church somewhere else. We should feel that as an attack on us. Because the same spirit of adoption that dwells in you dwelled in every single one of those victims. When George Floyd was killed by that police officer who kneeled on his neck for eight minutes, that's an attack on us. That man was a Christian. He had personal issues. He had had encounters with the law. But he served in his church. That same spirit dwelled in him. We have to be moved to compassion by this stuff, you guys. And I'm talking to myself here, too, because I know this struggle. I know how easy it is to ignore this stuff. It's somewhere else. It's someone else. It's far away. It's not my tribe, not my flesh and blood. I've got my flesh to worry about. But Paul tells us if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Because we are people of the Spirit, adopted into the family of God. That identity should trump everything else. So the Spirit of God is the Spirit of life, which empowers us for our work and drives us into the world. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, which remakes us into the image of Jesus and it is also the spirit of adoption which brings us into the family of God, overcoming our divisions to make us one in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending your Spirit into our midst to transform us and make us new. Help us to not be fearful or hesitant when it comes to the Spirit, but God, send your Spirit on us afresh to fuel our work in the world. Use your Spirit to conform us into the image of your Son and to unite us as adopted children in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate,
0: review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.